Welcome to George McDonald and Us. This is Catherine. And this is Sean. And today on George McDonald and Us, we are going to be considering Consider the Ravens, which is a poem by George MacDonald. Per our usual format, we will read the poem aloud for you, and then Sean and I will have a discussion about it, and you are free to listen in on it. Consider the Ravens by George MacDonald. Lord, according to thy words, I have considered thy birds and I find their life good, and better the better understood. Sowing neither corn nor wheat, they have all they can eat. Reaping no more than they sow, they have more than they could stow. Having neither barn nor store, hungry again, they eat more. Considering I see too that they have a busy life and plenty of play, in the earth they dig their bills deep, and work well, though they do not heap. Then to play in the air they are not loath, and their nests between are better than both. But this is when there blow no storms, when berries are plenty in winter, and worms, when feathers are rife with oil enough to keep the cold out and send the rain off. If there come indeed a long hard frost, then it looks as thy birds were lost. But I consider further and find a hungry bird has a free mind. He is hungry today, not tomorrow, steals no comfort, no grief doth borrow. This moment is his, thy will hath said it, the next is nothing till thou hast made it. Thy bird has pain, but has no fear, which is the worst of any gear. When cold and hunger and harm betide him, he does not take them and stuff inside him. Content with the day's ill he has got, he waits just nor haggles with his lot, neither jumbles God's will with driblets from his own still. But next I see in my endeavor, thy birds here do not live forever. That cold or hunger, sickness or age finishes their earthly stage. The rooks drop in cold nights, leaving all their wrongs and rights. Birds lie here and birds lie there, with their feathers all astare. And in thy own sermon thou, that the sparrow falls dust allow. It shall not cause me any alarm, for neither so comes the bird to harm. Seeing our father, thou hast said, is by the sparrow's dying bed. Therefore it is a blessed place, and the sparrow in high grace. It cometh therefore to this, Lord, I have considered thy word and henceforth will be thy bird. So what are your first thoughts, Kate, on this one? 
Well, the first question that I asked myself is why Jesus Christ chose birds. Um, he could have chosen any animal, I guess, to use this analogy for. I mean, all animals are dependent on God for their life, and some burrow deep in the ground, and um, some live in the sea. But he chose, he chose birds, Christ did. And I'm going to, um, like George MacDonald, think about, about that. And I'm going to reference someone who I'm a huge fan of, Jonathan Pajot. He has a fantastic show called The Symbolic World, and he's just done a lot of, of symbolism work. And I'm thinking about the episode where he talks about how um, a mountain, like, it, it's, it symbolizes heaven because from a mountaintop, you have a broad perspective. You can see, like, everything. And I think about how birds fly up in the sky and they have this, this very broad perspective and it's like a lofty place that they're looking down from. And I noticed that this poem kind of follows that template itself because George MacDonald in this poem starts with speaking about the Lord God and considering his word. And he descends down from there. So we're first very lofty, the Lord, scripture, and then the language and the perspective goes, goes down, starts to lower, even to the point where, in the second stanza, he points out that in the earth, they dig their bills deep. And so we have this, this movement in the poem from high, we're up flying with the birds in the air, and then we're going down with the birds into the earth and um, how there's an integration there, an incarnation, an embodiment there. Um, and those are, those are some of my, my initial thoughts. I guess I, I definitely have more, but I'm curious what you think about that. I think as to your question, Kate, the, the whole poem is basically a response to the gospel passage where Jesus basically says, consider the birds. Um, so in, in your thought about why he chose birds, I think it was just kind of in response to um, Jesus' word. So maybe it's question is, why did Jesus use the birds? That is my question. Okay, that yeah. is your question. Mm-hmm. Why Christ chose, chose birds? Yeah, it's a, it's a, that is an interesting question. Um, my first thought on that is that it's just a very visible animal or creature um, for, for us to be able to relate to. You see it in your everyday. Um, and, uh, I mean, oftentimes you don't really think about them. Um, even though, I suppose, almost every day you see the birds or hear the birds at some point. Um, but I know I don't think about the birds very much. Um, 
So maybe that's part of it. That's something that you you often don't consider, but it's in your daily life. Um, probably in almost any any part of the the world, really. Um, but I did want to just reference the the scripture here. Uh, you know, the, this is in Matthew chapter six. And kind of where this all starts then is is chapter, uh, or verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? Mm. Um, so I do like the the passage a lot because as someone that, that probably worries more than they should, um, I just like that imagery there of the birds not having worries and as this poem illustrates, they really do have a lot to worry about with the weather and not having food. And um, but they they don't they don't worry. And even though you know they're pretty fragile animals, so the birds come to harm, as it says in the poem. Um, but they're seeing our father um, at last, and it's. A sparrow was in high grace at that point. It's kind of interesting. That is. Um, yeah, I'm glad you talked about worry. And can you read that last part of the biblical passage again? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? That's verse 27. I guess maybe what struck me about the first stanza, well, a couple of stanzas, actually. But the last line, which is, hungry again, they eat more. And I, I kind of had to laugh because I remember when we were dating, um, I had an apartment here in town above a plumber's shop, and there were these birds that just, like... Yeah, that's <laughs> like, ...were fly- always flying around and making their noises and I called them neurotic birds. They would twitch their heads a lot. I remember <laughs> yeah, when they were on the power lines they yeah, would be they constantly would. twerking their heads. <laughs> yeah, so they've always struck me as like just these very like neurotic things, some of them. But I think what George McDonald is pointing out here is that they're actually like the opposite. Hungry again, they eat more. And they are literally just existing. They are listening to their primal needs. Um, they, they hunger, and so they eat. And I think this is the antithesis of classical neurosis or whatever, where it's like, yeah, we're always like worrying or we're overthinking things or we're just totally ignoring our body and our primal instincts, immediately shutting them down. Not that we are birds or that we, we don't have any ego, you know, or any self-control. Um, but I do think that Jung was right. I think somewhere he says this, but correct me, listeners, if I'm wrong. 
that like modern man it tends to be neurotic i mean he's so we are we i say we we are so cut off from earth from instinct from hunger because everything we touch is almost almost everything we touch is plastic or you know we 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 never we never dig our bills deep in the earth like the birds do and like i like i kind of referenced before i i kind of think he chose birds because birds have both perspectives they are up in the air above it all and they are also digging their bills deep in the earth and they're dependent on berries and storms and winter affects them and they they eat worms and i just love the very earthy imagery that george mcdonald pulls out here to describe just the the earthiness of the birds as he descends further from the lofty heavens to the very earthy matter of fact life one aspect of the poem that i really liked was um in the middle of the poem when they're talking when he's kind of get, kind of getting to that worrying a little bit but he says he does not take them and stuff inside him content with the day's ill he has got he waits just nor haggles with his lot i i, I like that line there he waits just nor haggles with his lot i think for me i know it's when you have those days that are challenging it's hard to just just be in that and not complain or think to yourself yeah this is just tough or why did this have to happen um and i think a bird is is a good image of that they just move on and they're they're fine just waiting waiting it out and you know i think I had uh, the other day at work kind of a challenging situation on the co-workers said you know just give it two weeks and it'll just pass mm-hmm. and that was a great ad- advice and you know that's exactly what happened it just takes sometimes you just have to be fine just giving it some time and not stressing about it and just it, it will pass mm-hmm. and the birds I think just have a short span and can do that so well um, and then it does go on to say that you know the birds neither they don't, don't jumble God's will with driblets from his own, from their own still, which is also kind of cool. They're not trying to analyze what God's doing; they're just taking it in and you know moving moving forward. They're taking it in. I think that's an important point to make and it's it's very countercultural um i was listening to this jungian life which is a podcast out there the episode was titled reviving tolerance and cancel culture and they talk a lot about this phenomena that we have a lot in our culture right now which is about mingling our own unworked stuff that we have inside it and then put it projecting it out onto something or someone else and then p- 
punishing that. And I think that's exactly what George MacDonald is talking about here when he says, neither jumbles God's will with driblets from his own still. See what you think if you hear echoes of that in this quote by Jung. He was talking about why World War II happened, and um, he was kind of afraid that culture hadn't learned anything from that horrible tragedy. And he says this, Whenever you hear anyone talking about a cultural or even a human problem, you should never forget to inquire who the speaker really is. The more general the problem, the more he will smuggle his own most personal psychology into the account he gives of it. This can, without a doubt, lead to intolerable distortions and false conclusions, which may have very serious consequences. On the other hand, the very fact that a general problem has gripped and assimilated the whole of a person is a guarantee that the speaker has really experienced it and perhaps gained something from his sufferings. He will then reflect the problem for us in his personal life and thereby show us the truth. But if he projects his own psychology into the problem, he falsifies it by his personal bias and on the pretense of presenting it objectively, so distorts it that no truth emerges, but merely a deceptive fiction. I mean, I think this quote and this bit of the poem are both saying exactly the same thing. We can bring in our own unworked material into a situation unknowingly, and think that we're being objective or we're being right or it's God's will, you know, we're, we're doing or speaking or acting or thinking in a way that God would, but really it's just driblets from our own still. And I think that that's something that we really struggle with as a culture today. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty cool quote. I like that a lot. This whole poem is like George MacDonald's reflection on, you know, Jesus as a word, which I like because he does that a lot. With his other sermons that he has, he usually, you know, the beginning of them have like a verse or something that he expounds on. But to what you were saying, Katie, a little bit about the, the words of, of man that quote a little bit, this... This quote is really interesting from George MacDonald's Unspoken Sermons, the, the one titled, It Shall Not Be Forgotten. He's kind of saying in this uh, section here uh, a little bit about the words of, of God and how valuable they are. And I like how this poem, it's an example of it. It starts with, Lord, according to thy word. So, you know, it's... It's taking his word, and then it finishes with, I have considered thy word. So in between there, it's all all his thought. But, but what George MacDonald says in, in his sermon, It Shall Not Be Forgiven, I will read here. Words for their full meaning depend upon their source, the person who speaks them. 
An utterance may even seem commonplace till you are told that thus spoke one whom you know to be always thinking, always feeling, always acting. Recognizing the mind whence the words proceed, you know the scale by which they are to be understood. So the words of God cannot mean just the same as the words of man. Can we not then understand them? Yes, we can understand them. We can understand them more than the words of men. Whatever a good word means as used by a good man, it means just infinitely more as used by God. And the feeling or thought expressed by that word takes higher and higher forms in us as we become capable of understanding him. That is, as we become like him. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I like that insight wow. a lot. It, just, it speaks to the whole purpose of this poem, I think, a lot. As we ponder these things that are in the Gospels, the words, the gospel, something very, very simple, you know, it's really just consider the birds. That, that's all you really need to just start thinking like George MacDonald did. And uh, through that, though, I would think as you do that, you become more like God, able to understand God's word more and then the value of it. That's something that, you know, I've never read the Bible as well as I should, but it's kind of hitting me now that the words of the Bible are way more valuable than I can even probably ever comprehend. Yeah, well, I, I you know, I, I mean, I think there's a couple of things there. I, um, in that quote you referenced, there's, there's an aspect of a good man being like a whole person. And I think that's juxtaposed to what Joseph Lee in that Union Life podcast said was, you know, overly simplified collective declarations or we've just boiled everything down so much that there's just like this, this brutality out there. Like truth is, is a brutal thing. It's, it's used to cancel people. It's, it's very compartmentalized and disjointed, you know, sound bites, Twitter. It's not playful. It's not fun. I mean, I think about George MacDonald talking about how the word of God grows up in a good man. And how does that happen? I don't think it's as simple as just reading scripture. I mean, I think it's a good place to start. I, I'm taking iconography right now, and my wonderful teacher just talks about how the more we paint the face of Christ, the more we become the face of Christ. But it also takes, you know, prayer to do that as well. And... And there's that capacity that the more we read scripture, the more it will grow in us. And, and it's also not just reading it, it's considering it and pondering it. Yes, and how does George MacDonald do that? I think what I love about this is that, again, like he starts from this lofty place, and then he just goes further and further and further down, down, down. And he's playful with it, and he's open, and he's humble, and he's even willing to talk about death, the death of the bird. That if we're called to be birds or like birds and consider them, we also need to consider their death. And 
He says, birds do not live forever, that cold or hunger, sickness or age finishes their earthly stage. The rooks drop in cold nights, leaving all their wrongs and rights. Birds lie here and birds lie there with their feathers all astare. I mean, that's, that's just sad. And, and it's just like it happens all the time. They're dropping left and right on cold nights. Nobody really cares. And all the wrong and rights don't really matter <laughs> at that point. But yet there's even hope in that because who is with them when they die or sees them as they die is, is God. You know, so he even considers that. He has the humility to consider their death. Yeah. His own death. Well, the verse talks about the death. That, like, even God knows the death of a single mm-hmm. bird. Yeah. And maybe that's another reason why he chose birds. Like, I see dead birds all the time yes. when I'm out mowing. Or, like, it's probably the animal that I most see dead. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that... Yeah, that that aspect of not shying away from the death is is a theme for George MacDonald for sure. But it's also a biblical thing too, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the most powerful verses and things to think about um, as far as you know the Lord knowing when a single bird. <laughs> falls and saying that you're infinitely more valuable than the birds it's just kind of in awe just thinking about that exactly about the, how much that he cares for us that is truly the case i guess thinking about this in the midst of speaking about the death he puts in this very interesting line it says leaving all their wrongs and rights and I guess that struck me just now, reading this again. I was talking to someone who, who was very, I consider to be very wise, and I was telling him about how well, recently our daughter, who's four years old, um, she called me a swear word, and she was really mad at me, and it was a pretty, it's a pretty bad swear word, and... It's definitely um, one that I don't want her to say. And it's definitely one that I say. And that is just up, you know, out in the culture. And it was just kind of like sobering to me to hear it coming out of her mouth. And I, I didn't really know how to react to that. And it really, I was just kind of carrying this burden around of like, uh, yeah, I don't really know what to do in this in this situation. I mean, I told her it wasn't good to say that word, and we don't say that. Um, and I said I was sorry for the times that I said it. And I was talking to this person, and he just really challenged me to invert my focus. And he was like, "It's it. It doesn't really matter." all that much in the end, whether or not your daughter uses that word. What really matters is, are you finding moments of joy with her? And I'm paraphrasing, and I hope I'm, I'm 
remembering this correctly. Um, but, but essentially it was like, you know, life is a lot bigger than your daughter (laughs) saying this, this word, not, you know, and I'm just, I'm inserting myself in here. Look, I don't want my daughter to say that word. And, um, death is coming for us all. And I'm not going to look back and be like, wow, I feel like so bad that my daughter said that word. What I will feel bad about, or what I, you know, I, I hope I don't have to feel bad about is did I spend my time with her fixating on things like this and her behavior and how stressed out I am all the time about everything? Or did I play? Did I engage her in her world? Did I seek out moments of joy for myself? And then she saw joy in another human person and did I bring her into that joy and um I'm just struck by this that this leaving all their wrongs and rights struck me as that how I think we just need to chill out about child rearing I mean I think like and it's not just like swear words and morality I mean it's 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 Pinterest moms it's like it's all this social media crap. I mean, it's competition and, oh, my kid is, you know, the star of the track field or whatever, the star. And, the, and I just think, like, I, I think we all need to just chill out or, you know, my kid, I don't know. I, I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel yeah. like there's... We're just so focused on the wrong things this day with parenting. And it's about academics. And look, I'm not even a mom who is into, like, the track team. But it's just these tiny little day-to-day things. And I guess I just think, like, more and more this very, like, cold, brutal, Stalin sort of mindset has just infiltrated so much even to the point where, like, stay-at-home moms, I don't know, it's like a weird army camp or something, what we have going on as stay-at-home moms. I mean, and, and we just don't know how to relax and have fun with our kids anymore. At least I feel that. And that's not to say we need to feel guilty for getting frustrated or mad. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But can we, can we do that and acknowledge what's going on and then climb out of that and still choose joy and not just be stuck in this all work and no play? I mean, I also think about how George MacDonald talks about how the birds play, considering I see, too, that they have a busy life and plenty of play. Yeah, I think that's a great message from this poem overall to keep keep the joy in the center of things even when there is so much busyness and so much to do. And I think you're right that we've lost a lot of that in the world today. And kids just can't play anymore. Or, and adults too. Mm-hmm. Like, can't even let your hair down and have fun and you have to worry about saying the wrong thing or offending someone and I think that's 
paralyzing to to people and something we need to get past as a culture gotta go backwards and get you know get into play more and leisure I think yeah I mean I was reading that that line from the poem reminded me of a book I read eons ago called Leisure the Basis of Culture by Joseph Pieper and there's I highlighted so many quotes to share I mean it is, I, I think we've even, do we know what leisure is anymore? I don't know. But he, he writes here, Moreover, just as the highest form of virtue knows nothing of difficulty, so too the highest form of knowledge comes to man like a gift. The sudden illumination, a stroke of genius, true contemplation, it comes effortlessly and without trouble. On one occasion, St. Thomas Aquinas speaks of contemplation and play in the same breath. Because of the leisure that goes with contemplation, the divine wisdom itself, Holy Scripture says, is always at play, playing through the whole world. And just to note, Thomas Aquinas is, is quoting from Proverbs. Proverbs 8, verse 3. And I think about how, I mean, God, the Holy Spirit, plays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. You know, and I think this this loss of play goes hand in hand with our loss of um, worship. Um, In this same book, Joseph Pieper writes, Such is, moreover, the meaning of the marvelous quotation from Plato placed at the beginning of this essay. The origin of the arts in worship and of leisure derived from its celebration is given in the form of a magnificent mythical image. Man attains his true form and his upright attitude and festive companionship with the gods. And he talks about how there, there wasn't a single festival that existed before, oh, I don't know, the... Uh, the Oh, what's Les Miserables based on um, the French Revolution that didn't have a connection to, to a god somewhere in, in, in the history of the world. And I think the further away we move from the worship of God, we're, we're not going to have leisure or play because that's, that's the source and summit of it. Yeah, I like that. Well, I think that concludes our discussion here on Consider the Ravens by George MacDonald. I hope everyone enjoyed the discussion and I look forward to having another soon. Yes, amen. And as George MacDonald says, and henceforth will be thy bird. And to that I say amen. Thank you for listening. Um, if you liked what you heard please do check out our patreon page george mcdonald and us and consider becoming a supporter of this podcast we have different levels of support and the lowest one is three dollars a month so please do consider supporting us in our endeavor to bring george mcdonald's works back into the culture and have some fun talking about them Thanks for joining. Take care.